Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible study class led by Pastor Jim Adi. We are starting a new multi-week series over the Ten Commandments titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. Okay, well, this morning, we're starting a new uh, new series. I'm calling it Foundational Truths for a Confused World. Am I uh, in error in thinking that the world is confused these days? Huh? No, if anybody's confused, it's probably all of us, because it feels very much like the world has changed. But there's so much, uh, I think... Um, opinion out there, so much uh, information to some degree, uh, so much fake news as we hear so much about that, uh, it's getting harder and harder, I think, for people today to figure out what is it that you're going to build your life on, what is it that you're going to say is the thing that counts for you, not just in terms of your life now, but also uh, the life to come. And whether people choose to acknowledge that or not, that there is a life to come, there's a, there's a huge segment, a huge percentage of the population that just says, well, that's this life right now, and you make the best of it, and hopefully you be a happy person, and then uh, there's nothing after that. There's a lot of people that believe that now. And uh, partly that may be because it's kind of hard to prove that there is life after death. There kind of is, right? Kind of hard to prove that. You kind of have to get there to see, uh, to see if that's true or not. But for, uh, for, for people of faith, for, for those of us that uh, believe in Jesus, and for those of us that believe in what's coming next, that's a, a, that's a great comfort for us. And so sometimes we're sort of left with the dilemma of when you believe that and you trust in it and you build your life around that, and then you encounter someone who doesn't. And then it's even a little tougher when that person who doesn't believe that uh, is somebody that you know and or somebody that you raised, okay? That's a little tougher one, isn't it? So we want to we wanna be able to include in our conversations uh, as we work through this material, we're going to be working on initially on the Ten Commandments. I say initially because there's way more to God's truth than, than the Ten Commandments, but that's kind of the, a good basic place to start. Um, but we certainly want to include in our conversation the whole idea of how do we as people of faith and people of hope share that with people that either are ambivalent about it or just flat out reject it. How do we respond to that in a way that uh, can be true to our own truth, if you think of it that way, but at the same time can be uh, responsive to where that, uh, where that other person might be coming from. Okay, so where we're going to start today is really where, where God starts, and that is with respect to how God looks at each of us, and then in the context of how he looks at us is, uh, is what sort of shapes then uh, the words that he gives to us in terms of that foundational truth. So uh, we're starting with a part of this that we've talked about before. It'll be a review for, for some of you, but maybe there'll be some new things in there. And that is the idea that we are God's beloved. Okay, so some words here as a way of introduction in, uh, in opening discussion. People in today's world seem to be searching for something that is dependable and trustworthy. With the advent of social media and the sophistication of artificial intelligence, it is getting more and more difficult to discern the difference between what is real and therefore trustworthy and what is fake news. This is nothing new as even people in Jesus's day were also looking for the real thing, a real Messiah in whom they could put their spiritual trust. Fake messiahs were common in his day as well as nationalistic views of what a Messiah would do when he came. And so Jesus had warned his disciples of this very thing. In uh, Matthew 24, 4 and 5, Jesus is talking with the disciples, and they're kind of walking through, Jeru through Jerusalem, through the city. And the disciples asked Jesus, when is the end going to come? You know, what, that was always kind of the thing that was on uh, people's minds, and it may be on people's minds today as well. You know, when are all these things going to happen? And so then Jesus starts out with this reality. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, 
For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And then in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus posed kind of the question of the day to his disciples. Uh, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So the point is, is that people throughout the eras of life, of, of history, have always had questions about who, who the Savior is, who the Messiah is, and, and when, how would we recognize him when he came, right? And then they would often then superimpose their own expectations on top of what, the, what they said the Messiah was to be about with the expectation that the Messiah would come and, uh, and meet their needs. So point D, the idea of what the mission of the Messiah would be was also questioned. The apostle Peter expressed the common view when confronted with Jesus's revelation that he had come to suffer and die. Remember that uh, story? Peter's uh, rebuttal uh, was Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus saying, never Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. How did Jesus respond to that? Yeah, he he was not that that really touched that nerve for Jesus, didn't it? In terms of of what you think, Peter, I'm here to do and nothing's going to get in the way of that. And so remember what Peter said, John, you said it. What what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. Yeah, that would Triton would never have said that. Okay, that that would not have been that. But that Jesus was very, uh, very adamant about what it was that he came to do and nothing was going to get away, uh, get in the way of that. But Peter is revealing his Galilean heritage. All right. Um, Little uh, commercial here. So we have our men's retreat coming up at the end of the month. I know all of you guys have already signed up, so I don't even have to say anything about it. But uh, we're going to be studying the book of 1 Peter. And so in doing some studies about, about Peter himself, what I learned was, was that as a Galilean, Peter was uh, of a heritage that was always interested in the next fight. That's what Galileans were known for. And so whenever there was a, a proposed re- insurrection, the Galileans were uh, standing in the line saying, uh, sign me up. I'm going to be the first one. So you can see where the fervency with which a Galilean would have looked at the idea that here we're being occupied and oppressed by Rome. We hate Rome and we'll do anything to, uh, to overthrow Rome. You can see where then that would have impacted, that would be his upbringing, right? He would have been taught that as a kid, but that would have been his upbringing in terms of his thoughts about what the Messiah was going to be about. That the Messiah would come and his thing would be to uh, overthrow Rome, drive it out, and then now we have this wonderful uh, spiritual uh, existence where Israel is the uh, king of the earth. Okay, so uh, that was where he was coming from. In this series, we'll be looking at God's foundational truth in the Ten Commandments. So our quest is to ask three questions which are being asked by people today as they search for something deeply relevant upon which to base their thoughts, their words, and deeds in life. Okay, first question is who is God and what kind of God is he? All right? So these are the kind of the questions that are going to be in my mind and I hope they'll be in yours as we kind of work through this material that in other words that what does the word say about who God is and the kind of God he is? Is he a God that loves us? Is he a God that we should be afraid of? Is he a God that is indifferent to us? Is he a God that um, is up in heaven somewhere and just kind of lets the world do whatever it wants? Or is he a God that is sort of like the, uh, you know, on the Godfather commercials with the uh, puppet kind of thing that he's, he's uh, running everything exactly the way he wants? What kind of God is he? What we'll discover in our world today is that there's a million opinions about God among those who believe in God. Now there's a whole segment of the population that says there is no God, the atheistic population, 
but even those people would say, and we swear to God that there is no God. So there's, there's a little bit of contradiction there, you know, in terms of uh, do you really believe it or are you simply saying that for the purpose of the people that you are trying to, uh, to, trying to attract, okay? So what kind of God or who is God? What kind of God is he? The second question is what am I to him? What am I to him? People today are asking that question. What, what is my relationship to God? In other words, when God looks at me, what does he see? And when God wants to interact with me, in what way does that interaction take place? And then the third question is, what is he to me? What is he to me? So those are the things, among the things that we're going to be thinking through as we work through the commandments in terms of what they say about uh, our life with God, but certainly what they also say about our life with each other. Okay, thoughts at this point? Comments? Yes? Another statement I've sort of heard is something like, there is no God and I hate you. Yes. <laughs> yes, which sort of would make one wonder, right? That what's fueling that, that either it's a disbelief or it's a disappointment that somehow God didn't come through in the way that I thought he should, okay? And I think that sometimes, I know I'm guilty of this, and maybe this has happened to you, is that when you encounter somebody who says flat out there is no God, okay? Or they say, well, I believe in God, but I just don't want anything to do with religion. And there's a ton of people like that. Uh, we'll look at that next week uh, more in more depth. That to, to be aware of and not so quick to judge that, or to put that into the box or the, the uh, category of, oh, there's something wrong with you. What's the wrong with you? Okay? Because there actually could be something in that person's experience that caused them or influenced them to move away from God because there was some expectation. Can you think of what some, some expectations might be from a human perspective in terms of what, how I thought or how somebody thought God would, what God would do in a certain situation, and then he didn't do it, or he allowed whatever to happen. Can you think of some examples of when that, of where people would get that? Yes, Sandy? Not being healed from an illness. Yeah, so when there's an illness, particularly uh, maybe of a terminal nature or just chronic, and the person having it is a believer, Right. So the whole issue of suffering, see, is, is something that people struggle with today, and, and we're going to actually be looking at that as well, okay? So when, the, when God doesn't heal, okay? What else? Can you think of some other scenarios in which people might say, because God allowed this, or God, you know, acted this way, or you thought he did, that then therefore I, what, hate God? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've heard some people will never people say, you know, the Bible says that God won't give me any more than I can bear. That God won't give you any more than you can bear. I can bear, I can handle. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. You know, I've lost this person or this happened or that or that. Yeah. And he said yeah. he wouldn't give me more, but he Yes. Didn't. Yeah. There is that. So one of the, uh, so what Gina was saying is that sometimes people will read the Bible or they'll read into the Bible, whichever the case may be. And read a verse, and uh, the verse that often comes to mind is that one where it says, God doesn't give you more than you can bear. By the way, what is that verse talking about? Do you know? I know what everybody thinks it is, but do you actually know what it is? He's talking about temptation in that verse. He's not talking about suffering. Okay, he's talking about temptation. And so in temptation, yeah, he, he does, isn't going to give us any more than we can bear with him, Right? I mean, it's not me bearing it by myself, but oftentimes that is a good example of reading a verse and sort of lifting it out of its context and then saying, here's what it means and how come it didn't work out that way. Um, in my experience, not necessarily personally, but just in, in uh, having conversations with people, is that it is usually the death of somebody, and it's very often the death of a child or somebody that that person felt that he or she could not live without. And the loss of that person 
together with the fact that that person as a believer was praying, 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 praying. God, if you love me, God, if you care about me, you won't let that person die. And then that person dies. And that's often what fuels that I don't believe in God. I, how did you say that again? I don't believe in God and I, there and is no God. And I there is no God and I hate him. Yeah. So that's, those are, that's why the fact that those things happen in people's lives and then that's what fuels sometimes that reaction is why I think that we need to be cautious about jumping to conclusions about when people say stuff like that is that at least I need to probably, I mean, you can feel sad that they feel that way. That's okay to do that. But to sort of assume, well, okay, write them off. They're going to hell. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think that that's, if anything, an invitation to, uh, to have a deeper conversation about how did you get to that place, especially if it's somebody that, in fact, uh, is a believer. Okay, or was a believer. I pray so hard after. Say, say that again, Lois. Relationships. When people pray so hard that this relationship will end. Yes. I know someone who I prayed my parents wouldn't get a divorce, but they did. Yeah, yeah. And then that turns them away. It does, because it sort of lends itself to the idea that God's the all-loving, all-powerful. And if he really is all-loving and all-powerful, why didn't he step in and keep those people from doing the dumb thing they did, you know? I mean, that's, but that's kind of what we all struggle with, too. You know, how much do you want God to stop you from doing stupid things? <laughs> I don't see any hands going up. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, we, but, but if you think about what might be involved in him stopping you, maybe you'd think twice about wanting that, you know? And would we listen anyway? You know, yeah, Brenda. Lack of justice. Pardon? Lack of justice. Lack of justice. Can you say just a tiny little bit more about that? There's a lot of people doing an awful lot of bad things that yeah. have to get away with it. Yes, they are. And some of it is being done in the name of religion. Yes. Okay. And so when Christians behave badly, that ripples out to the world that we live in and the community we live in. And if they say, they say, they look at that and they say, well, if that's what being Christian is, or if that's what kind of God those people serve, then would I really want to be part of that job, part of that uh, God? So see, we, some of those things that people conclude are grossly unfair, right? I mean, we can sort of say that, too, that sometimes as judgmental as we can be about uh, folks that would say things like that, I think that judgmentalness kind of rolls both ways sometimes, right? And part of the issue is that when you go into judgmental mode, you're, you stop connecting. Connecting stops. And, and uh, listening stops. And, and engaging stops. And if we can just put the, put the kibosh on the judging part uh, long enough to let's talk about it and see where you're at and see where I'm at. Maybe, actually, there's more that we can build on than we actually think. Okay? So that's, that gives you a little sense of kind of where I'm thinking about as we uh, work our way through this. So Jesus, he asks you another way. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am. So remember after Jesus asked his disciples, well, what is the, the, what's the popular opinion about me? Who do people say that I am? And they were more than happy to give all the answers. Well, Lord, we went on Facebook and we discovered <laughs> that here's all the opinions that people have about you. That's a very non-risky uh, position, right? And then Jesus kind of goes right to the straight of, uh, to the heart of things. And he says, what about you? So foundational truth number one is, is that Jesus moves you from the knowledge of him to personally knowing him in faith. Okay. And so that's kind of where Jesus goes. And that's where I kind of hope that we go too as well in this. There's, there's many aspects about God's word that are very comforting and give us great hope and reassurance, right? And then there's many things in God's word that annoy us and sort of poke at us and make us think about kind of what our thinking is. And we're going we're gonna to touch on both of those as we work through the commandments. Okay, so we start with the introduction, God's introduction to the commandments. So what, just a little brief little review here. Uh, when did God give the commandments? When was that? 
You don't have to give me the date. I don't even know the date. <laughs> but what was the occasion? Let's put it that way. What was the occasion? Yeah, they left Egypt, right? They went, the children of Israel left, Moses, the whole thing, went uh, 40 days up into the uh, top of Mount Sinai, and uh, everybody else is down below, and Moses is up above, and then God gives to Moses the uh, Ten Commandments. Okay, so that's, if, if you have any doubts about that, just watch the movie. The movie is uh, very, very well done in that respect. Okay. Okay. So Exodus 20, 1 and 2, which is the introduction, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So the introduction to the Ten Ten Commandments reveals not only the existence of God, but also the kind of God he is to you. So how does he start it out? He starts out with I am. I am what? I am the Lord, your God. I am. And that that reminds us that God actually has a name, doesn't he? He has a proper name. It isn't just simply God. It isn't simply Lord. These are different words that are used to describe him or to depict him. But in the Hebrew, that name is Yahweh. Remember when I taught you the, uh, the little Yahweh prayer? That's, I hope that that's something that you're still trying out. Uh, how many of you remember the Yahweh prayer? Good. Everybody in the room remembers the Yahweh prayer. That's so good. Okay. Well, let's remind ourselves the Yahweh prayers. So the, so the, the name of God was never meant to be spoken. It was meant to be breathed. And so the idea of the word Yahweh, which means I am right, is a, not just simply a memory of God's presence, but it is invoking God's presence. Right. And so say the word out loud, Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay. Now say it without moving your lips. You have to breathe. So you go. Now, in order to do that, what do I have to do? Breathe. And that's exactly God's name and his existence. Because God is what? Spirit. Spirit is air. Spirit is breathe. Spirit, we inspire, right? Expire. There's breath involved. All right. So you can't hardly just say the word Yahweh without breathing and or breathing deeply. So now try it deeply. Did you feel the air come in, the air go out? Okay. That's all you'd, that's, if you did that six times a day, your life would be better because you're deeply breathing right? When is a good time to deeply breathe? Well, I know any time I know, but, but when would be some particular times when it would be, yeah, Mary Jane, when, what, what's one time to deeply breathe? Oh, I want to know how to spell Yahweh. Oh, you want to know how to spell it? Oh, let's see if I can spell it without moving my lips. Okay. Y-A-H-W-E-H. Y-A-H-W-E-H. That's how, that's, um, that's the English of it. The Hebrew is like way different, but that's how you say it. Yeah, Jerry. Um, I was telling my age, but um, 70 years ago, or well, 65 years ago. Oh, thank you, Jerry. I'm doing the math in my head here. Yeah. Um, I, I was in a Lutheran school. I yeah. Brought up. Brought up in a Lutheran school. Okay. Anywhere, like up north, or where was it? It was up north. Up north, okay. We were told never to use the word Jehovah yeah. or God's name because it was a mortal sin almost yeah. to address him. Mm-hmm. When did that all change? Well, that's a good question. It has changed, I can assure you. Some of that is more out of the respect for God's name itself. But there was also in the Jewish belief that if you said the name of God, that was the same as touching the ark. Do you remember the story of the ark? What happened when some guy touched the ark? He died. And so that would have made an impression on most people when they saw that. And, And so because God's name is holy perfect and is like way greater than like a 
human, that was the idea. You should never say the name of God. Okay. Yeah, that's where they came from. Now, I don't know how that worked its way into the teaching you got. I don't know that part of it. Well, we were Missouri Synod up there, too. Well, see, that's a different version of Missouri Synod way up there. Yeah. And some people, some people lament that, let me tell you. Why can't we all be the same? Yeah, but, but, it, but that would have been something that would have been taught. I think, I think in, it, it, what I'm trying to get at here is that, that it, it, it's very much a worship of God to think of it this way, in a reverent, meditative way. And so I'm not espousing the idea that we just sort of flippantly like, oh, Yahweh, Yahweh. It isn't that. But, it, but there is this idea that because God's name means you're in the present, I am. It's not I will be. It's not I was. It's I am. There's something very powerful about that, that when you're worried about something, that's a great moment to do that. Because the nature of anxiety, when we get worried about stuff, the nature of anxiety is that it either takes me into regrets of the past or fears of the future. That's what anxiety does. And physiologically, when I go into an anxious state and fight flight kicks in, breathing becomes t- tempered. I, I'm not breathing deeply. And so you, by just simply breathing deeply, and why not use the Yahweh prayer as a way to do that? I'm actually... <sighs> Like that. If you've ever watched professional athletes, just before they do the big shot that's going to win them a million bucks, what do they do? What's the last thing they do? They go, like that. Just before I preach a sermon. Yeah, I do that. Have you ever noticed that? I'm thinking of the million dollars that I'm going to get for that sermon. And <laughs> It's just a way to do it. I mean, it's just because anxiety does what? It kind of tightens us up and that kind of thing. Um, and some of us are quite good at hiding that from others. So that's probably why you didn't even know that. But, but that's, I do that. And uh, I recommend that other people do it as well. You know, if it's good enough for me, it ought to be good enough for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, Debbie. Also, I think what it does for me is remind me that I'm not alone in the situation. Totally. Because when we get anxious, one of the things that happens is that we do feel very alone. We feel like nobody gets it. I'm the only one that's ever experienced this, right? And I'm walking through the uh, valley of the shadow of death all by myself, right? And so that's a wonderful uh, aspect of that. It's just we need to be reminded of it. And if nobody is around you to remind you of it, you can do the Yahweh prayer, and that's a way that you can be reminded. Yeah, Tom. I think this not using God's name is also tied to the do not use God's name that's correct. Don't use it all. Yeah. So you run the risk. Yeah, I think so. And, and we'll look at that when we look at the, uh, which commandment is that? I think, yeah, the second. So when we, uh, when we get to that one, we will. Because, I, you know, again, sometimes the fear of doing it poorly causes people to think, well, then the best thing to do is don't do it at all. And there may be some error to that, okay? Maybe just the LCMS in the northern regions, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's the best case, okay? But, uh, but we'll, we'll take a look at that, okay? We'll take a look at that and see if there's a way for us to feel good about that. So, so again, when we look at uh, the verse here in Exodus 3.14, we're reminded that God, God is who he is, certainly. But, but God was very... Um, I think in some sense, merciful for Moses to say, I am who I am. You know, remember the, the story is at the burning bush when God went to Moses and said, you're going to be the one to go tell Pharaoh that he needs to let my people go. Well, then that's when Moses said, yeah, but who do I say sent me? I mean, that's a pretty legitimate question. And so that's where we pick it up here in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites when you go to them and give them the good news, right? Uh, I am has sent me to you. So foundational truth number two, the kind of God that we have is that he is a God who always takes the initiative. He takes the initiative in reaching out to us. We by nature do not reach out to him. 
we by nature run and hide from him. But God in the love that he has for us, given the kind of God that he is, he reaches out to us. Okay. Secondly, God's operating principle is love. And that reflects his nature with us. So first John four, eight says, whoever does not love God does not know God. I'm sorry. Whoever does not love does not know God because what? God is love. So the capacity that we have to love, particularly when it's hard to do. See, because most of us could say, okay, let me think here. Who in my life is easy to love? How many of you have at least one person in your life that's easy to love? Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> most of you raised your hand. Okay, that's good. All right. I'm not going to ask you who it is. Okay. But you know what the next question is? How many of you have at least one person in your life that might be a challenge to love. Oh yeah. Only one hand went up. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So see, I mean, from that perspective, when somebody's easy to love, yes, God's power is there and I'm loving at, through the power of God. Right. But I think where that power really um, shows its, its, uh, its strength to us is when the capacity that you have to love or the challenge that you have in loving that person because maybe it's not reciprocal or maybe that person just totally rejects you or maybe that person's idea of what loving you is way different than what yours is, okay? When that challenge is there, that's kind of when the power of God, the, the, the fact of God is love, that really uh, fills us. That really gives us uh, the power we need to do that. And then De Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So God's operating, see, the, because God is love, that's the filter God uses in relationship to us. And that's the thing we want to remember then when we think about the commandments, even though the commandments themselves are sort of worded in such a way that it kind of sounds more like a mandate, doesn't it? Thou shalt do this, thou shalt do that. The fact that God's operating principle is love means that, that those words are more about how God loves us and wants the best for us than it is simply the idea that he's saying, stand up, fly right, straight, straight, walk through life like this, right? And, and then do it because I said so. And sometimes we present the commandments like that. Do it because God said so. Well, God does say so, right? But it's hard to sort of squeeze out the idea, well, then where's, the, where's that love part in there? Okay. How many of you are parents? How many of you have ever said to your kid, because I said so? <laughs> and why did you say that, by the way? Because your parents said it to you, and you thought, boy, I can't wait till I'm old enough to say it to them, right? That's the real reason why you did that, right? Okay. Is there a place for that in terms of parenting? Because I said so. Yeah, because what is it that you're really saying? Why would you say that? Okay, let's have one spokesman. Thank you. Yes. I know more than you. You know. Yeah, you've been there. You've done all the dumb things that you're not wanting them to do. So there is a, a certain amount of motivation of love to protect them from themselves, right? And because you've done those things, you've been through it, you've paid the price, you've suffered the consequences, you did all those things, that's that, that's that act of love. So there, when we understand it from that perspective then there probably is a place for because I said so, right? Okay. But there's also because I love you. Because I love you. How many of you ever grew up with hearing, uh, this hurts me more than it hurts you? <laughs> now, I know that was spoken in love. I know that. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And why did you say that, by the way? Because that's what your parents said to you, and you couldn't wait for the opportunity to say it to them, right? Yeah, yeah, Gina. Well, as a kid, you never understood it, because I usually got it when I was getting spanked. I was like, how is this hurting you more than it's hurting me? And I'm the one getting spanked. Your mother spanked you? Mother and father. Your father and your mother? 
They're so sweet. How in the world? I just, I just can't imagine Harold and Peggy Lehrman who are spanking you. I'm going to have to sort of have a conversation with them about that. That's amazing. And you're so sweet. I don't see how in the world that you could have ever done anything unless your brother got you in trouble. That's what it was. And then you were falsely blamed injustice, as Brenda pointed out, right? Okay. When you get older, you understood why they said that. Yeah. You really do. You yeah, you do. They said that this really is hurt, that it hurt me more than it Yeah. As a kid, you thought your parents were idiots because they said that. Right. And there's a lot of kids today who think, still think their parents are idiots. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I read uh, with the advent of social media and that whole thing, um, I've been reading some uh, articles about the, you know how it is when a lot of us were kids, we went to a uh, great extent to try to hide stuff from our parents. Yeah, there's a few heads doing like this. Yeah, yeah, I would say me too. All right. It's way more sophisticated today. It's way more sophisticated today. There's like these code words that kids use on, uh, on social media that most of us in our age group probably wouldn't even know what they mean. But when they use it, it's like a secret knowledge. It's like a secret uh, code with each other. And they're like an acronym. So let's see, one of them that I read was, um, let's see, P-L-O-M-S. P-P-L-O-M-S. Parent looking over my shoulder. And what do you think it is I'm doing with the, when the parent's looking over my shoulder? I'm on, the, I'm on the thing. I'm on the device. And so they type that in there, and then we would look at it we, over the shoulder. We'd say, oh, honey, what are you doing? Oh, honey, I'm, uh, Mom, I'm just working on some homework with my friend. And I would say that on there. And it would be like, yeah, this is from uh, American history. This was a certain part of it. And it means something else. So there's a little bit of a sense of... Um, the articles that I'm reading say, warning, 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 because of that. Okay, so just to be aware of that. Okay, uh, thirdly, God's desire is that all people know him and trust in his love. Um, John 3.16, one of our favorite verses. What? For God, what? So love the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So foundational truth number three is what are you to God? You are someone worth loving. Someone worth sacrificing his only son. Sometimes we doubt, humanly I think, that we are worthy of love. And there is a ton of people in the world today, in, in our U.S., maybe even in Plano, who doubt that reality, that they are not worth loving. Where would somebody get that idea, do you think? What sort, of experience in, is it, what sort of experiences in life might make a person question the worthiness of being loved? Yeah, Tom. I think even within Christianity, we find some of that issue. Because we tell people, God loves you, but you're a terrible sinner. And you deserve punishment for that. But Christ took it. But you're a bad sinner, and you need to accept that. And when you're given that, it kind of you question whether you're worthy of God's love. I'm not saying we do that all the time. I'm saying that that can be presented that way to cause people to have that issue of, am, am I really worthy of God's love? Yeah. Uh, there's, to counter that a little bit, the, the hard part is, is that when we hear the word worthy, we sometimes think that somehow that means I have to do something in order to become worthy of that love. And that's the confusion. See, because, because it's just a na it's, I think it's a natural human thing to think, well, then if I'm not worthy, what, would, what do I need to do in order to become worthy? And the reality is you can't do anything to become worthy. But you don't have to. Because why? Because of Jesus. 
Yeah, see, that, that's the whole point of it. So one of the ways that I like to think about it, and, I, and I'll think about it visually as soon as I find something to write with, which I can't do, so I won't. What happened to my pins? I don't know where they all went. Um, okay, so think of it this way. Think of it in terms of tiers, okay? Like T-I-E-R-S, not T-E-A-R-S, okay? Levels. Because there's different kinds of worth. There's different kinds of value, if you think about that from that perspective, okay? There is a worth that we have by virtue of the fact that we're created. Anybody here not created? Of course, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so we're all created. So we have created value. We have created worth by virtue of the fact that what? God has created us, all right? That's a, that's a level of that. But that created worth isn't enough in terms of like, can that get you to heaven? Can your created worth and value get you to heaven? No, it's just everybody's created, all right? So another level of uh, tier, if you will, of of value or worth is in the fact that we are redeemed. And that's where redemption comes in. That's in terms of the fact that, that not only did, did uh, God create you, but then what did he do? He paid the price for your sin. And then by virtue of your redemption, you now uh, have his love and you also have heaven as a gift. All right. The problem is, I think, that it, it, at that third level, the third level is performance value. Performance value. Any of you that works for a living knows what performance value is. What is performance value? What's performance worth mean? Yeah. So if you deliver on the expectations that the company has of you or what, whoever's writing your check, right? then you have lived up to that worthiness. You've lived up to that value, right? Performance value shows up in education system. It shows up in anything where grades are assigned, and it's not good or bad. It's just to say that. Now, what that, that's the difficulty oftentimes, is that when your performance becomes almost the sole measure of your value, then what happens? What if I get a D? What if I get an F? Am I no longer a value? Am I no longer worthy? Okay? And so that's, I think, part of the confusion that a lot of people feel, uh, feel about that. But at least in terms of our, our intrinsic, our internal value, as far as God is concerned, that's been, that's that redemptive value. That's the part that's been established by Jesus. That's what, if you, another way of saying it is, if you were the only person ever to live on the face of the earth as a sinner, would God have still sent Jesus to be your savior? Yeah. Even if it was just one-to-one. -one. Now, we're talking about millions of people, and Jesus w came and lived and died for millions of people, right? But if you were the only one, it's still, he still would have done that for you. That's high worth. That's high value. Okay? So 1 Timothy 2.3 then says, uh, uh, Paul says, this is good and pleases God, our savior, who what, who wants what all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So again, see what is God's aim? What is the, the, the bottom line for him is that everybody is going to spend eternity with him. That's what, that's what he wants. That that's the love that he, uh, th that love is truly in action. So in his love, God delivers you point four from your slavery to sin, death, and, uh, and the devil. And so John eleven twenty five and 26 says, Jesus said to her, this was talking to Martha, remember after the death of Lazarus, her brother, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives, at, uh, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you notice the play, of what, play on words with the use of the word die? If our Lord comes again, then it will be a moot question. But if he doesn't come before we die, we will all die. Right? But even though we die, what? We live forever. Right? Because death doesn't have the final word. And then Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart 
the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. So foundational truth number four is that that you are a slave is a fact. That you are a slave is a fact. The question is, does your master love you or use you? That's the difference. None of us can say that we're the master. I mean, we could say it, and people often do. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. You know, I had to memorize that poem when I was in high school. And that's the only part of that poem that I remember, right? I don't even remember who wrote that. But uh, anyway, boy, that just, you know, learn this, learn this. All right. But that's the point is that we're all still slaves. The, the question is, who's the master? And does the master that you serve, does he love you or does he use you? And kind of the bottom line is, is that if I give myself over to any other master besides God, then I can pursue all the blessings that that master promises. And maybe I can get them, but I'll never be filled by them. And I'll never be loved by them. And that's the difference between the two. So finally then, faith receives the promise of God's love and the salvation that it gives. And this is where, uh, continuing that uh, conversation that Jesus had with Martha, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And Simon Peter, when, uh, when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Jesus, uh, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And so in your baptism, this kind of brings everything kind of to a uh, close for today. In your baptism, what, what is it that's happened? God calls you to belong to him as his beloved. And uh, these are the words then that God gave to Jesus at his baptism. And we then in faith share uh, that same uh, sentiment that God feels about us. You are my child whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Notice God's name is in there too. Did you see it? Yeah. I like to break this, uh, these words up. That's why I printed it that way, because you can break this up with phrases any way you want to. And how I know that it's okay to do that, you're not adding or taking away from the Bible, is because in the New Testament, the Greek language doesn't have punctuation. So you can put the punctuation any place you want. So you could say, you are my child, and stop there if you want. You are my child whom I love. You could stop there. You are my child whom I love, Stop there and then say, with you, I am. That's the part I like the best. With you, I am. There's somebody here in the room that responds very well to the phrase, with you or with me. Anybody know who that might be? Triton, Triton yeah. Tri- the, the, kind of the, uh, the first command we, that we learned, or I did anyway, after the command of stop was uh, with me. And with me is the command that we use when we want uh, Triton to come with us. Okay? So that's a nice uh, connection here, nice tie-in. The Ten Commandments, as part of God's law, shows you how to live the life of the beloved child of God as a response to God's calling you to be his beloved child. And so foundational truth number five for us is because we belong to God and are powered by his love, The Ten Commandments can become want-tos, want-tos, rather than have-tos. Yeah, there's some have-to in the commandments. Of course there is, right? Especially when I don't want to, right? Right? (laughs) Oh, then God says, because I said so. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. But the goal, really, I think, from our Christian perspective is is to work at getting to where it's a want to. And the power of God's love is what makes that happen. See, when you know somebody loves you like the, the way that God does, 
you can move into want to instead of only being motivated by have to. If you are fearful of God, then it turns more into have to, because if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble, right? So very, uh, very interesting way of looking at it. Okay, next week, we'll start with commandment number one. Anybody remember what commandment number one is? You shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, so we're going to talk about what, is it, what does it mean to have a God? What are the views of God that people have today in, in, uh, in, in a specific way? What does God say about a God? Okay. And sort of tackle all this from this perspective. Good? Feel good about that? Okay, let's go, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, our gathering here uh, this morning. Thank you for being the God that starts everything with your love for us. You're, the, you're our Father. You're the one that uh, created us. You're the one that has redeemed us. And you're the one that gives life and uh, value to our lives every day. So I pray, Lord, that as we work through, uh, work through this study of the Ten Commandments, that, that uh, we can begin to see that uh, there's so much uh, good in, 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 that you want to bring into our lives. And uh, following the commandments is one way for that to happen. And we're so pleased to be a, to be a part of that. Watch over us uh, this week, dear Lord, especially tomorrow being Labor Day. A lot of people are on the road and, and uh, spending time with uh, with, uh, with family and that kind of thing. So keep everybody safe, keep everybody mindful, and uh, bring us safely back here together next week. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to Messiah Lutheran Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.